Welcome everyone to the Two Tongues Podcast. Consider this your invitation to join Kyle and Chris on a journey through our minds. Where we explore the questions that have fascinated us for as long as we can remember. Could anarchy actually work? Does God exist? And just how did the cosmos get here anyway? Let me be the Virgil to your Dante, the Sacagawea to your Lewis and Clark. Let's take the guided tour through the dark chambers of our unconscious, seeking answers to the most important and unsettled questions of our shared existence. Ready or not, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> and the music stops. Bonjour. Does the music really stop, though? And the music never really stops. Doesn't. Speaking to your microphone, let me see if I can hear it here. Hello. I think so, yeah. You think so? Yeah. You're not sure? Yeah, I think so. All right. Do it again. Bonjourno. Yeah. Miscusi. We tested the audios. It's fine. It's good. People will be able to hear. Although, I was just starting to tell you that... Um, Eddie reached out to me and said, "Hey, uh, the Edster. I don't know if you know this, but your your audio on a couple of your episodes it, just, it sounds like maybe it's in my headphones. Anyway, he said the audio on a couple of the episodes was uh, it had fallen. The quality had fallen, and I remember he was like, I think it may have been when you guys started doing uh, YouTube. YouTube's. And I told him that uh, the webcams have have mics, Ooh. and so all the software wants to sometimes wants to switch the default microphone." And there's like four episodes where <clears throat> the YouTube version is just fine, but the uh, version for the uh, actual podcast stream uh, sounds like we're ta- we're talking to each other in a wind tunnel. And it's disappointing because there's like four of them like that that ended up like that. Yeah, you know, we're we're uh, we're not a professional outfit here. No, we're just figuring it out. So you're doing most. You're you're like. You're like the Jamie and the Joe Rogan of this podcast. Yeah. Or like half of the Joe yeah, Rogan. Geez. Which half of a Joe Rogan is a very small amount, just to be <laughs> fair. He's he's a tiny guy. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I don't know how tiny. I need to see him in person. Well, from what I understand, takes like six or seven Rogans to like equal a Shaq. That's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot of Rogan. I mean, Shaq's a big man too. So, I mean, we're doing like opposite ends of the spectrum. But... Rogan auditioned for the Lollipop Guild. He's a little guy. Did you uh, you see the picture of Shaq next to Yao Ming? Oh, I think I have seen that picture. It's before. incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. Yao Ming is a big mofo. I'm pretty sure there's a picture with uh, Yao, Shaq, and uh, what's the little uh, little black comedian, handsome fella, uh, Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart, yes, yeah. because the contrast is so huge. Like you know, Kevin Hart would have to stand on his own shoulders and wouldn't be. Wouldn't be That's up to Shaq's coming. shoulders, yeah. and uh, Shaq is like maybe he's like one or two whole head lengths shorter than Yao. Yeah, it's a big dude. He's a big fella. Yeah, that hap- That's what happens with you know like eugenics. Yep. Which from what I understand, I mean, I don't know how controversial controversial this is, but from what I understand, that's what Yao Ming is the product of. It's like the authoritarian Chinese government being like your. An athletic specimen. You're an athletic specimen. You two have a baby, hmm. and that was Yao Ming. That's amazing. If it's true, yeah. is it, it? Does Yao Ming have um, 
gigantism or is it just I think he's just a big Chinaman you know I think I think people with gigantism have certain like characteristics like dude imagine how much railroad that dude could have built back in the day that's the dude you want on the team you know that dude's picking up railroad ties by himself you know yep yeah well the the Chinese did build the railroad I suppose they did they did well the Irish helped there was a lot of fucking Irish dudes were there they were oh yeah not great workers from what I understand from what I understand, Irish people would do things like blow up parts of the railroad so that they could have a day off. Or like, you know, like sabotage things because that they, did, they didn't want to work. Really? Yeah. I think I heard that from Thaddeus Russell. Goddamn Irish. Did you really? Interesting, man. Yeah. Huh. I am wearing my Two Tongues t-shirt. You guys, can you see that? Two Tongues podcast t-shirt. Do you know that it was based on stuff like that back in the day that... That was the reason they considered Irish people black. Why? Because there's like similarities in the ways that they behave, you know? I mean, I've heard that before. Um, like, I mean, I remember, and this maybe this is from, not from history, but from like Gangs of New York or something, but that but that the um, Irish immigrants were, were in the same social category as black Americans at the time in the early days. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in some cases they were even lower. They were considered to be like the lowest of the low yeah. on the, uh, you know, the hierarchy. I don't know who establishes it, but there's one apparently. It's just one guy who's just uh, deciding the hierarchy. Uh, and, and guess what guys at the top, um, that, the guy that makes the rules, I bet the guy that made the hierarchy, he gets to be on top. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. I was I was thinking more like for a specific person. <laughs> I was like, who who is Carnegie? Maybe Elon at this point. Nah, I didn't know it was pronounced Carnegie until I uh, saw the men who built America. Carnegie is what you were saying. Carnegie, yeah, yeah. Carnegie Mellon. That's Carnegie. how most people say it, yeah. I think. And they're all wrong, you know. Yeah, they're all every single one of them. Wrong. 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 <laughs> oh boy, uh, what's up, man? What's new? Is there anything new? Is there anything new? That's like a philosophical mm, question. Is, anything ever is there new? anything new? Mm, yeah. I don't think so. No. It's all played out. We're all just we're all just a different form of the same pattern on repeat. We're just, just the universe is a skipping record, you know. But um a less philosophical answer <laughs> to that question. I don't think anything's new. Anything new? Nothing like jumping out at me. So, same old shit. Different day. I saw um, I saw something this, yesterday evening and, and this morning. I think about a drone a drone strike in Iran. Did you see that in the news? Mm-mm. I have not been paying attention to the news, man. I saw a video this morning that showed the fire uh, at some kind of military facility, but I don't know who, I, who hit. Like, they don't know, but oh. they're the article said Israeli um, planes were in the airspace. And like, but you know, I just don't. I just don't know if I, you can believe anything you hear on the news. I don't know. Sure. If, you know. Could, well, I would assume you heard this on our news, um, on the American news. It, well, I, I, it's hard to say. It was. It was on Twitter, uh, so I'm oh, not really sure where it came oh, from. Okay, fair but, enough. But I was going to say the Jones strike was on American news. The video I saw on Twitter, so I don't really oh, know. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, but well, did the American news insinuate that it might be Israel? No. Okay. Twitter did, though. I was going to say, if the American news is insinuating that it might be... I mean, the American news doesn't really talk shit about Israel. So I would assume if they're reporting it that there's enough evidence that it's probably, you know... Yeah. But Well, the the implication of what I saw on Twitter said that uh, 
that Russia won't be getting any drones from Iran uh, now. So like maybe maybe the facilities that were hit were the ones that were built producing the drones that Russia was using against Ukraine. Mm. So is it all tied? Is it all tied into that story? Probably. You know, could be. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Iran, I did see a lady on uh, Jordan Peterson's podcast whose name I can't remember. She's famous for some reason, um, but I think the what it, what people would know her for sounds like from this podcast because there was an assassination plot on her by the Iranian government while she was here in the United States. So they had people here after her. And they, the FBI foiled a plot to kill her, and now she's under protection. Yeah. And all, and all she was basically one of those feminist-type women over there that want to not have to wear hijab and stuff like that. Yeah. It's kind of an interesting conversation. Yeah. Um, you know, that... What, what is it? Is it the Ayatollah over there? I think it is an I, I think... That's the title. Yeah. Um, but, the, you know, they they put out... What's the word? The word for what? <laughs> it's like an Islamic... Uh, like Jihad? a call to attack something. Uh, a, a, oh. a fatwa? It's ringing a bell. I don't know. But I'm not sure either. Yeah. <laughs> an Islamic call to attack something. Um, but... <laughs> Yeah, well, they'll put those out, and it, Muslims take that shit. Some Muslims take that shit seriously. You remember Salman Rushdie? Mm-hmm. What you remember what happened to him recently? Tell me. He got stabbed. He was doing a book. He was doing like some kind of a book talk, and some guy came up on stage. Some guy who oh, had yeah. before the talk been like, "Oh, I'm a big fan. I love you." <laughs> blah blah. Came up on stage while he was giving his talk and stabbed uh, him. Wow. And people like some. Muslims have been trying to kill Simon Rushdie for a long time because wow. they put one of those whatever it's called. So I, I got the impression it was like uh, agents of the government, but you think it would—it was just ordinary Muslims living already living here. Oh, they're like, I'll, I'll do that for you, sure. For this lady, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, uh, I mean, I guess it depends on what she. I th- I would bet that it it could have easily been either. You know, you know what that chick said on. Jordan's podcast, she said that in Iran today, under the like the- theocracy that they've got going on, um, a woman, she named her like she. This is a, like a recent event, a specific woman, but I just don't remember. Um, she, part of her hair came out of her hijab. Oh, she got twenty-seven years in prison for that. Yeah, for publicly showing her hair accidentally. And then there was a story about a man who killed his daughter, beheaded her. Because she was a disgrace somehow, you know. Whatever she was. Well, it depends on what she did. To be yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, she he got eight years. Yeah. Eight years in prison for killing his daughter. The woman whose hair popped out of her out of her scarf is going to be in there for the rest of her life, man. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. It's crazy. And, and she was just saying like when her mom was when she was like a baby and her mom was before the revolution, that it was so different there. And that she that women were allowed to go out in public, and they were allowed to wear colorful clothes, and uh, you know it wasn't great, but it was way better. She said, um, "She, as a woman in Iran, is not allowed to sing, and she's not allowed to dance, and she's not allowed to go see a football game. By football, she means soccer, but I'll, I'm not going to hold that against her. <laughs> she can't. She's not allowed. She said her brother can go, but she can't go." Mm-hmm. She, that's like you know a crime. 
And I was just like, get 27 years for going to a soccer match. Well, if you, you better not dance at that soccer match. Yeah. Not if you're a you woman. You let your hair out and you dance at a soccer match. You get, ouch. <laughs> you're going to get stoned. You're going to get stoned. And not the good way. It's incredible. It's, <laughs> not the good way. It's incredible, man. Like, I don't know what comes to your mind, but like, you know, Footloose comes to mind. Remember the movie Footloose with Kevin Baker? I never Baker? saw the movie Footloose. You son of a bitch. But I mean, I know about it. It's a terrific movie. If you watched it today, some of those parts are Is so... It a terrific movie? Well, let me explain. Right. Some of those parts are so laughable, and, and the, what comes to my mind right now is Kevin Bacon, Kevin Bacon, <laughs> Kevin Bacon dancing. Yeah, uh, because like when that movie came out in like 1980 or whatever it was, those were probably some cool ass dance moves for a white guy. They were probably, I imagine. Yeah. But if you watch them today, you're like, what the fuck is going on? It's not as bad as that video of uh, David Bowie and uh, uh, was it David Bowie and uh, Mick Jagger? They had a music video. Oh, yeah, Remember, they always yeah. show that little clip on, yeah, <laughs> fucking ridiculous thing. Yeah. Um, but um, you, you may remember there was a, they made fun of it like they do lots of things on Family Guy, where, I think it was Family Guy, where there was this long, drawn out uh, yeah, one of their clip things. Yeah. Of, uh, of him dancing in, in the woods. He's dancing in the forest. And I think he falls and he's like falling down whole, uh, like, like repeatedly That's for. From Hot Rod. It is, it, yeah, it is from Hot Rod. But, this was that happened in Family Guy too. You're not like crossing. I think wires. I might be crossing swords. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I think you're right. I think it was Hot Rod. That I love that. That, that was so a parody. Funny. That was a parody directly off Footloose. Oh really? Yeah. Oh. And and the dad. That scene makes more sense. to Yes. Because I've it, never seen Footloose. It would be way funnier if you saw. You should All fucking right. watch Footloose, man. I love Andy Samberg. Before that, right before that, he says. I need to go to the woods to punch. I need to go to my special place to punch dance out my rage. Yes, so yes, funny. that's exactly exactly uh, what happens in Footloose. He punch dances out his rage. Yeah, he's like you know dancing very a- angrily, and there's like moments where, like uh, he'll be in um, a negative, like he'll be in shadow, and you'll see like you know like the water sp- spraying up, and he's like glistening. It's like all this dramatic like. Like cinematography while he's dancing, it's so over the top. Do they have that bitchin' saxophone music that's in Hot Rod? I'm almost, I'm, o- I'm almost positive. Yeah, yeah. I like. I'm gonna have to watch Footloose. You, you should. sold me. And uh, that's the one where uh, I'm pretty sure. I want to say John Lithgow is the dad, but the, I don't know if he's old enough. Fucking I, I want to say he is. He, oh, he's old enough. But he's like a um, super conservative guy in, in the little town that they're in. Oh yeah, and he, and he shuts down. He's like the Iranian in the town. He's like the Iranian. Yeah. yeah. He shuts down the, the, the prom, the dance. Ah. Not a lot of dance. Yeah. You know, for religious reasons. And his daughter just wants to Based. dance all over Kevin Bacon's... Bacon? Bits and pieces, man. Bacon bits and pieces. Bacon bits and pieces. <laughs> uh, yeah. The whole, ever since you accidentally said Kevin Bacon, I've been imagining, uh, like imagining that Kevin Bacon has this like hobby that he bakes, you know? Which is cool. I would like to get into baking if I had a better oven and shit like, like that. Like Tom Papa? Bacon bread? Yeah, I, actually, I would love to make some sourdough bread. Um, I, I would love to do baking in general, though. Um, but I had the, uh, this scenario in my head that Kevin Bacon has that hobby, and that while he's doing it, he he should start a YouTube thing called Kevin Baking. Yeah. That's a great idea. That's gold. Kevin yeah. Bacon, get on that, dude. Yep. That's a, good, that's a good one. Let me ask you a question. What? Who do you think... In popular culture, it doesn't have to be Hollywood necessarily, but who do you think Kanye. of popular culture is a s- secret stoner? Who do you think? Oh. Who do you think is a secret stoner? I bet a lot of them. 
Um, you know, like people who don't necessarily give off the image of stoner. Yep. I bet you a lot of them actually do smoke weed. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say Ben Affleck. Affleck? I can see it. His Affleck's c- such a bitch, though. You think? And, but he's a handsome bitch. Oh, he, he's... Yeah, I don't think. I know. I've I've seen it demonstrated uh, on Bill Maher's show. You don't remember that? Um, and, refresh my memory. What did he say on Bill Maher's show? And um, did Bill Maher let him get away with it? No... No, 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 not really. Um, you know, Bill Maher's not going to take too much bullshit. I don't love Bill Maher, but he's not going to, like, let you talk shit to him, you know? Uh, but it was when he had Sam Harris on, and Sam Harris... I, you know, despite what we were just talking about in Iran, I think that Sam Harris has a misguided interpretation of Islam and Muslims. Mm. Um, and he was saying what Sam Harris says, and... Ben Affleck was like, that's gross and racist and, you know, stuff like oh, that. I see. And, like I said, back then, I was fully on board with Sam Harris. I used to really like Sam yep. Harris. Um, now, I, like I said, I think that he's, like, kind of misguided on Islam and Muslims. Um, but I still think that Ben Affleck's reaction is just gay, you know? Yeah. It's gross. You, you should watch it if you don't remember it. He's, like, incredulous, mm. you know? He's just such a was bitch. He, was he glib? Was he being glib? Affleck? Yeah. Uh, I don't really even know what glib means. I don't either, but you know who does know? Tom, Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise knows what glib means. Yes, he does. You're being glib, Matt. <laughs> That's the, exactly it. That's exactly it. Oh, You know what? Tom, We've talked about Scientology and how like crazy bullshit it is. But Tom Cruise says some shit that is not like I agree with. Yeah. You know, like I, I think... I think I've said this before, I don't know if on the podcast, but I think 10 years ago, maybe not even 10 years ago, maybe like five years ago, if you asked me which Hollywood Tom I liked better, yep. Hanks or Cruz, yep. I would have said Hanks for sure. Yep. I think I'm saying Cruz now. I think I've switched. I saw the little clip of uh, the next Mission Impossible movie. I'm pretty sure that's what it was, yeah. but it was Tom Cruise doing his own stunt. Fuck yeah, he was and jumping out of an airplane. He, he drove a motorcycle off of a ramp, like into the Grand Canyon, and then parachuted, but he but he was fucking free falling for yeah. a extended period of time. He's the man, dude. That guy. It's another very small human, from what I understand. Yeah, very small. Um, but that's not what Nicole Kidman says. Hey, that's not I what don't know, Penelope Cruz him, says. So it's not what maybe she left him because he was too big. Yeah, that's probably it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that seems like that's got to be it. Everything that yeah. dude does. Um, yeah, I, I saw this thing. He was. Thanking his fans, I don't, I don't fuck. Oh, it's something about Top Gun, like making Top Gun a really successful movie. And he was like filming for the next Mission Impossible, and he was about he jumped out of an airplane. No, no, like buddy attached to him in a green suit, so they yeah. can, he, like he just did it. It's like a professional stuntman. He's the man, dude. The man. I'm surprised they let him do that kind of stuff. Yeah, because a lot of times they won't. You know. Yeah, it's awesome. Good for Tom Cruise, man. I like Tom how, Cruise. How expensive must Tom Cruise life insurance policy be? It's got to be super expensive. It's got to be big. There's got to be some waivers in there for stunt work. Yeah. Who else is a secret stoner? Tom Cruise, you think? I don't think so. No, he's pretty clean, huh? I he's think, it, I don't know, that might go hand in hand with the Scientology, you know? Yeah. I don't know their, the Scientology's position on m- marijuana's. Yeah, I don't either. Although I have a copy of Dianetics right here. Dianetics Junior, much better than Krishna. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what is Dianetics Junior? That's a good question. I had to ask Jack Black that. Yeah. Um, secret stoners. 
uh, who doesn't have that image? Clooney? You think Clooney smokes weed? That's a good question. Clooney. Clune dog? I'm going to go with yes. Yeah, I bet you he hits a vape pen from time to time. Who do you think, who in Hollywood do you think is tripping balls? Tripping balls, tripping balls. Um, On any of them. Acid, mushrooms, ayahuasca. Well, Jim Jim Brewer for sure. Brewer? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. Come on. I listen to his podcast, and I don't think he does. Really? I think, he, I think when he was younger, he he did stuff like that, but yeah. I don't think he. I don't think he doesn't even smoke weed anymore. What? Yeah, it's hard. To, yeah, hard to tell. Um, boy, that's a good question. What do you look for? What are the characteristics you're looking for? Do you think? What What are the giveaways for, for a secret stoner? Yeah. What are the giveaways? I don't know. I almost. I think maybe their body of work. You know, like mm. this this guy seems like a stoner. You know. Well, then Christopher Nolan. Oh yeah, I could see Nolan smoking weed for sure. I, that's what the thing. I think a lot of people in Hollywood. I bet you they smoke. They do some kind because they're like creative. We're, type yeah, we're talking people. about artists. Yeah, yeah, we're talking about artists. So, um, how about politicians? None mm. of them, probably none of them. No, I bet you. I bet you a good handful of them. Weed, weed, but probably not like psychedelics. Oh, psychedelics. Um, that's a good question. What what politicians in America do you think have probably done some psychedelics? I bet you Bernie's done some psychedelics. Oh yeah, he grew up in he grew up in that time. Um, actually, he's he's he might be older than that. I, I wonder how old Bernie was in the sixties. It's probably he was. Well, probably... he's. I mean, you know, he there's that footage or that picture of him in those like bus riots or whatever. You know, um, where they would like bus people down there. I don't, I don't know what the fuck it was. He was involved in some kind of protest back in the day, mm. and the cops were, you know, he's like all scrunched up like this, and the cops are like carrying mm. him. Yeah. Um, and he 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 could have done some, yeah, for sure. He's like the right age, I think. Mm. Um, Bernie, for I think I would be willing to to almost to stake my life on the fact <laughs> that Bernie has done some kind of psychedelic. Yeah. yeah. Uh, who else? Who we got? You think? I mean, a lot of them have done like cocaine and shit like oh, that. Oh yeah, they're probably way more, way more of them have done cocaine. You think Biden's done cocaine? I'm willing to bet yes. Well, yeah. I mean, where do you he think? He seemed like fun you, time Joe when he was a younger yeah. guy. You know, where do you think Hunter got it from? Oh, true. I didn't. I wasn't even thinking. Daddy's like that. dresser drawer, man. Yeah. Well, at that point, probably not. But I that's mean, where that's where Biden keeps it yeah, underneath yeah. his tidy whities <laughs> um, Yeah, that's a good point. You don't just come into that kind of... Well, I don't know. That's not true. I bet you there's a lot of people who do drugs and their parents didn't do drugs, you know? Yeah. But I'm willing to bet that Joe Joe Biden has done some, you know, little... Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Um, so I was... Uh, where, where did I put that book? Oh. I ordered this giant book. I didn't realize how giant it was going to be. You see how big this is? Yeah, it's like a textbook. Boom. See, it's bigger than my whole face. This is a copy of the Vedas that I ordered uh, from the interwebs. Uh, the Vedas are the holy books of Hinduism, and they're the oldest ones that still exist on earth. Yeah. Uh, oldest continuously practiced religion on earth. It goes back 5,000 years. And I never read them, so I decided I was going to get them. And it's a big book, dude. It's look, a big book. Look at the writing. Look how little it is. Yep. It's going to take me ages so I started reading it, and uh, one of the things I found interesting that I wanted to bring up to you is um, the Vedas are full of hymns. and Not hers? Not hers. 
Hemans. 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 And they are, when you read them, you can tell they sound like prayers. Mm -hmm. They sound like um, poems, you know, kind of. And each of them is dedicated to a different God. Each hymn is dedicated to a different God. And what I found interesting when I started reading through them is that every single one of the prayers says something similar about like, you know, O Agni, O Indra, come to us, come and be here with us. It's like an invocation. And everyone says, you know, we've prepared the Soma drink for you. And I've spilled out the Soma. And it's like, you know, if you don't know what Soma is, if the audience doesn't know what Soma is, it's like the food of the gods. It was what it was what the gods consumed, and it was nobody actually knows what soma was. Well, that's the that's the other interesting thing is that not only was it the food of the gods, but it was an actual thing that priests and, re- and regular people had access to as well. And there's all kinds of uh, theories that it was psychedelic, which I think is interesting. And I'm actually going to do a podcast on that probably probably sooner rather than later. But what I found was interesting was these prayers. I'm reading them, and they sound like familiar in some ways. It's like yeah, that sounds like a, you know, with different words, it sounds like a prayer from Christian Christianity. Prayer. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But what is weird is that when they're doing these prayers, it's not like, I don't know how to put this. It's like if I close my eyes and start to pray, which is essentially thinking aloud to myself, something like that, it, according to our religious tradition, God is listening. Mm. He's a, God is always accessible to us. And I'm reading these old prayers, and that is not the case. They're saying, God, please come here. Please, I'll give you some Soma. Please come here and listen to us. Hear our prayers. And they're like begging and pleading and tempting the God to come, you know? And uh, I thought that was a weird and interesting distinction that you can pray. In the, in the ancient times, there's no guarantee God's going to listen to you. Well, I think that there's... A similarity in our cult, in our tradition as well, in that you pray and you ask God, but you don't necessarily get it. You know, right? Sure. Uh, it's like that's what I was thinking the whole time. Is the, is oh God, come here? Is that like basically saying please act, please do something? And if he doesn't, you know, so the soma and all of that stuff is like an offering to it get is. what they want, but, which is similar to like early Christianity and you know early Judaism. Only it's not, the prayers aren't asking for anything really, other than for the God to come. So I agree with you that the Soma is an offering, and it's like um, something to entice the Spirit, you know, to come. And it just, seems, it just seems strange to me, man. It's like, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of a blend of an ordinary Christian prayer and a seance. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like... When, when, you know, in the Victorian era, when people were doing seances, they were like calling the God, the ghosts to come, and they were using candles and whatever, crystal balls and all, and incantations, trying to lure them, you know, from the other world. That's what it sounds like. There's an element of that going on. Yeah, I still just think that there's a context, even if they're not asking for anything, where that could still be like a Christian tradition kind of thing. You know, like wanting to feel the presence of God. I've heard people talk yeah. like that for yeah. sure. Sure. Um, so I, I just don't think that that necessarily means that God is not with you. It's just like make yourself apparent to me, you know, like, sh- you know. Mm. 
show me something. Yeah. I was, I was watching a, uh, you saw it when you came over this morning, I was watching an old uh, documentary about the Bible from the, the 90s. And uh, one of the things that, that they, I can't remember what it was, what story they were talking about, but they were talking about the Bible. Maybe it was a verse. And, but you, you know this, in various times in the, in the Bible where um, they will say, like, God heard his prayer. So he, he God, or one of the characters asks for something. And God heard him. That that language, which implies that God may not hear you, right? I, like yeah. he's, he was lucky. I can he see was that blessed. implication. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't necessarily. It's all in language again. You know, it's like um, I, it, I think that they're saying "hear me" in the sense of like you know, grant me what I'm asking for. You know, um, not. Because I, I just have a hard time believing that, would you say that God can't hear you? Like, even if you don't get what you want, would you say that he's not capable of hearing you? Well, this is exactly, this is exactly it. I wouldn't. Yeah. But they would they seem to. They seem to. And I thought that was an interesting, like, where did that change? At some point, we started to imagine God as being omnipresent, right? At some point. They clearly didn't believe that he was omnipresent. Even when they're talking about the God Indra or um, Agni, cer- certain of these gods, like Indra, is supposed to be like the supreme god, you know, the you know, the fundamental reality, something like that. What's more omnipresent than that? But here they pray to him, and they're like, Indra, please come. You know, it's like it just seems strange because if I were, if you transported me back to whenever this was BC you know many thousands of years BC I would I would find it strange and I would I would I imagine God is present always and hears you when you when you pray like that's what a prayer is it's a fucking can with a fucking string connected to it and another can next to God's ear and if when you when you pray he hears you it's like it's never even questioned that you know, is it is that just me? Is that a is that normal a normal Christian sort of understanding? And uh, these ancient people didn't didn't seem to think that at all. They seemed they seemed to think they could be shouting their prayers into the nothingness. Is it? It's apparent in the text that they, that they are saying, "Be here because you're not," and not you know, grant. What I'm asking for, you well, know, let's, uh, let's, which uh, is which is you know to feel your presence. I'm not going to make you guys suffer through all of this, but I'll, <laughs> I'll just read you one. I'll read you one. Uh, let me read you. Here we go. This is just the first the first one in the Rig Veda. It says, "I loud Agni, the chosen priest, God, minister of sacrifice, the Hotar, lavishest of wealth. Worthy is Agni to be praised by li- by living as by ancient seers." He shall bring hitherward the gods. Through Agni man obtaineth wealth, yea, plenty waxing day by day. Most rich in heroes, glorious, Agni the perfect sacrifice, which thou encompassed about, verily goeth to the gods. May Agni, sapient-minded priest, truthful, most glorious, great, the god come hither with the gods. Whatever blessing, Agni, thou wilt grant unto thy worshiper, that uh, Angrius is indeed thy truth. To thee, dispeller of the night, O Agni, day by day with prayer. Bringing thee reverence, we come, ruler of sacrifices, guard of law, eternal, radiant one, increasing in thine own abode. Be to us easy of approach, even as a father is to his son. Agni, be with us for our weal. 
Agni be with us. That wasn't a great example because that that one didn't specifically mention Soma, but so many of them do. Um, it's like we're, we're we're I can understand the perspective of it being a sacrifice, um, but they're not they're not asking for anything other than the God's presence, and so it's like it's it's like it just seems weird, man. Like I'm gonna pay God to come, you know. It's weird. It's a weird thing to me. I just think, I still, even after hearing that, can't help but think that there is a distinction. Just because you believe you can't feel God's presence at the moment and you are like, you know, beckoning him to show you his presence, to make himself known to you, doesn't mean that you don't think that he's there still. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know what just popped in my head is, you know, like those... uh, like animal sacrifices that we did, you know, every culture did, you know, at some point, um, you would you would kill the animal and you drain the blood or whatever. Sometimes you would burn it, um, but then what what happens to the animal after it's been burned? Nobody really ever asked that question, but the truth is, the priests would eat that meat. That would be that would be food for the priests after you did your you went through your sac you did your little really? motions. Yeah, the 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 wine, the offerings that was just for the priests, you know, mm. and um, and so. Seems I don't I don't know why I like instinctively have a problem with that. I do for too. Some reason. I do too. Yeah, I think a priesthood is a very fucking weird thing. I think that they should like pour that stuff into the river. And, yeah, like, bury the goats. You know. <laughs> let me let me let me finish this thought before I get off track. I probably am already. What was I saying? Um, what was I saying? We used to do sacrifices that the stuff was for the priests. Oh, so th- I was going to make that connection to the soma. So, so if the soma was psychedelic, which, well, we could talk about that. It it almost certainly was psychedelic. Um, You give this psychedelic substance to the gods; they're not going to eat it because because they're not they're gods (laughs) because they're gods, right? So, so what happens to that? I think I think the priests eat it. You know, I think the priests eat it. Balls, but but this is what all of it. This is what connects back to what you just said a minute ago about wanting. Um, God's presence to be with you. Mm-hmm. Now, when you're tripping balls and you have that crazy peak hallucinogenic experience, it's very easy to imagine God with you. It's very easy to imagine that you've passed into the world of the gods or that you've become one of them. You know what I mean? And I yeah, imagine, <laughs> imagine. Yeah, I don't know, man. I think uh, I think if the, if the priests are saying, you know, come come abide in me, oh spirits, whatever, and then eats the eats the soma that's what's going to happen man and it's just more evidence i think that psychedelic experience in particular but uh but um altered states of consciousness in general are the origin of religion because in what and i mean maybe you could say maybe you could say dreams but in what other situation well in what other situation are you Imagining a spiritual reality that you can't see with your eyes or touch with your hands. And what other... Are you dreaming that up, you know? I think that there's a good possibility that that's the truth, that Mm. psychedelics are the origin of religion. But I also think maybe even like equally as likely is that it's just a human thing, that it's always been in there, you know? So that I, I wonder if when we were kids, if we hadn't gone to church 
and nobody had told us anything at all about <coughs> the idea of God or spirit or soul or you know anything, what we would think about it if we would think about it at all? Um, that's a good question. I've heard, I don't remember who I heard say this, but they, whoever it was said that the nature of human beings is to worship. Um, and if you're not taught to worship God, you'll find something else to worship, you know? Yeah. So uh, Jordan Peterson gets into that with some interesting psychological stuff about um, imitation. Because, you you know, like monkey see, monkey do. Mm-hmm. You can see it in our primate ancestors. That, that's a way of learning, social learning, is to, is to imitate. And if you think about, like, the path of your maturation when you were growing up, there's so much of that going all the time. There's friends, there's family members, there's characters in, in media and Hollywood, you know, fictional characters. There's people that you admire and you instinctively imitate them. Why? Because you want to transform yourself into whatever it is you admire. Tom fucking Cruise. Tom Cruise, man. <clears throat> um, so having a uh, abstract, uh, perf- perfect thing to admire, that's just like the next level up of that. It's like, yeah, like for me, um, my, my mom's father, my, gran- my grandfather, had certain qualities that I admired about him. Like he was a smooth talker. He... Um, was particular about the way he looked. Great hair. Great hair. And uh, he, you know, he was very kind, did, did really well, took care of his family. And there was all kind of admirable things about him. He drove a really a, a white Lincoln with leather interior. It was a very beautiful car. It made me, it, you know, I just felt like <clears throat> my grandpa was some kind There's of... There's a lot to admire about that guy. He was a very, like, kindly, you know, just a good, um, like a good-natured person, you know? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So I see what you mean. Um. So you have that kind of example. Maybe, maybe you don't. Maybe you're not lucky enough to have something like that. But if you do, you find that there's things about that that you admire. And what that means, if you ask what the fuck does that mean, that you admire it, it's that's what I want that for myself. That something is, you know, Jordan will get into a, a little bit of hippy-dippy talk about, um, <laughs> he'll, go, he'll talk about uh, Mercurius, the god Mercury, mm-hmm. and that, that Mercury, you know, it, the, the metal how it looks, how it shimmers and shines, it catches your eye. That's the golden snitch from Harry Potter. That's that's what you know. That's what, this is how Jordan will describe it. He'll say the things that call out to you, the things that glit, that glint and glitter that catch your eye. You don't have any control over that necessarily, but those are the things that you that you will imitate because for for whatever reason they appeal to you. What that means is that you want you want that for yourself, that it's your destiny, something like that. Uh, you know, that's all sort of hippy-dippy, but I fucking like it, man. There's something about that that is interesting, a little mystical, and I like it. What do you think? What if what calls out to you is, like, bad for you? Well, that that's the case for some people. What does that mean? I, I mean, I, I know that's the case, but my question is, like, do you think that they should lean into that? Yes. I, th- I don't. I, think, I don't. I, I, I think that there's something there that needs to be explored. That you're you're being called to explore it. Like let's say that, let's take an extreme example, like a serial killer example. Let's take like a Jeffrey Dahmer type character, and he might have something. Jesus. I mean, go ahead. Well, he might have something that glints and glitters to him, and it's you know eating people. It's, maybe it's something like that. Cutting up gay dudes and eating. Yeah, them. maybe. Well, well, whatever was at the root of that. I think it was uh, you know repressed sexuality and all. You know, I don't know. Yeah. I, I'm not a psychologist, but. Uh, there's, so he should there's, have leaned into being gay. He should have explored it. He should have. He, it, there was something there needed that 
that needed to be developed in his personality. He did explore it. <laughs> I mean, you know. Yeah, you're right. He did explore it, but he should have. He like really, he be really fucking, he explored the shit out of that. He did, yeah. Um, uh, while he was exploring it, he should have, he should have followed a different path. You know, clearly he should have followed a different path. Yeah. But I don't think, <laughs> I don't think just because exploring something means you might get lost means you shouldn't explore. You should explore, you know? He just, that just, that dude got lost. I don't know, man. I think that maybe there are some things that you should have the foresight to know that you shouldn't explore that. I, I really think that Well, that's he definitely should, shouldn't have explored eating people. I agree with that. But whatever was at the root of, of No, no, that. no. I know. I know that's what you mean. And yeah. that's what I mean, too. Like, if you were obsessed with, like, death and murder, like something deep and dark, there's a way that you can explore that. There's, like, you could... Go to a morgue. You could see a dead body. You could watch the embalming. You could go to a place where people are dying, uh, like in a war zone, and you could see the tragedy of it. There's, you could go to like a like a hospital and a cancer ward and have conversations with people that are suffering. Like, there's ways of exploring that that might be beneficial. That might be have been a very different outcome. But then there's people like the Columbine kids or something that are you know, the same kind of nihilist obsessed with destruction and they go and do something like that. Uh, you know, obviously one is bad. One is particularly bad. And what one, but the other, the first example, maybe it isn't. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think that, um, like if you knew a guy who was a mortician and you're like, what, what drew you into this? He's just, I love death. <laughs> like, All right. You are not coming near yeah. my kids. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I see what you mean. Morticians are weird, man. It's a weird line of work to want to go into. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, p- part of me thinks it's a good business model. Like people are always going to die, so you're always going to have a job if you yeah. if you do that. But if you ever go to a funeral and the people at the funeral home, they're weird people. People that are the, the people that are so desensitized dis- dis- to death but put on airs of compassion when you're a stranger, that is a weird thing to me, man. Um, I don't... I, I mean, I don't know. On some level, I guess I do see what you mean, but thinking back... And it is kind of my natural... I just said it's like kind of my natural instinct to be like, you're weird. But in my experience, they've all actually been very nice. And it's like... Yeah. Um, I do... Maybe some of them are just weirdos, you know? But I think a lot of them... It's they want to help the families get through this as easily and you know painlessly as possible. You yeah, know? they want to make this transition for them as smooth as possible, and that's you know when you've just lost somebody extremely close to you, that's valuable. You yeah, know? well, you want to be respectful, obviously, and you find yourself in an intimate situation. It's I mean, what could be more intimate than you know, like as an employee there. And there's like family and friends, but you don't know anybody. You don't know the dead guy. That's a weird thing. It's like having yourself, you know, implanted into any intimate situation when you don't belong there is weird and uncomfortable. Like I wouldn't want to be there. You just, what you just said made me think of a scenario. Like if you are in that business and someone close to you dies, do you do that? Do you do it? Oh boy. I wonder. Yeah. Or do you like contract that out to someone else? I think you would contract that. I don't know. I, mean, I don't know. I'm sure people have done it. I'm sure people have been like, you know, like we, you know, here at, you know, I, I'm trying to think of but, but like gray and, uh, I don't know. 
Gray and Broadbeck Funeral Home. Uh, you know, we run this, but my mom just died. I'm just going to do it, you know? I'm sure that's happened. So I get a couple images in my head. One of them is like of, the, you know, the stories about how Jesus's body was prepared, washed, wrapped in linen, put in put in the, the tomb. Like the people who did that loved him. They yeah. were family. They wanted to be the one. They wouldn't have outsourced that job. They wanted they wanted to be the one to to take care of the body of, of the, their loved one. And so that part, I uh, you know, I can see. The other image that comes to mind is when you have to like, when you have to, when they get called, this is only, I've only ever seen this on TV, but you get the phone call that says you got to come down to the morgue and identify, you know, your father died or something. You got to come identify the body. Um, and you're like, oh man, that's the worst possible thing you could, you could ask, you know, a, a intimate loved one to have to do. Mm-hmm. But those are, those two examples are parallel examples. So if I was a mortician, would I want to be the one embalming a loved one? That'd be, my immediate instinct is to say no, yeah. but I wonder if that's the right instinct. I think maybe that's the wrong instinct. I think so too. And you, you talked about it, you know what happened to Jesus back then, and I'm sure that that's what happened to most people who were loved by people. You know, um, right. I don't know if there was any outsourcing for it back then. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a good. Point. I think that the families just you dealt with it, and you. Not happy to deal with it, but you you know you don't you wouldn't want anyone else to do it. Like this is the person that I love. I want to take care of them. You yeah, know? Um, and I do think that there's something like beautiful about that. Um, there's and some- then there's also like everything about the modern mortuary. It's just all kinds of fucked up and weird. You're right, it's unnatural and weird. Yeah. And, and and like, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know if macabre is the right, is the right word, but it's something like that. I'm thinking of. It's like unnecessarily gross and I don't know what word I'm searching for. Yeah, there's definitely, as a person who in the last few years, two of my grandparents have died, it's weird, man. I would rather not see them, like, open, I would rather just have pictures around of them and, Mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. know, um, seeing them, it's weird, man. They don't look like themselves. No, no. That whole um, that whole embalming process is so unnecessary. Like, yeah. I understand why they did it. You know, why they, I think they started doing it in during wartime so that the bodies they could transport them over long distances mm-hmm. to get back home and they weren't going to decompose. Yeah, we don't need that anymore. No, we don't need that anymore. I did see an article yesterday. Uh, I can't remember where it was. If it was our country or some other country or a particular state, but they changed some law because right now it's law that if you die, you have to be embalmed. You have to be, all that stuff they do to the body, it, you have to. Even if you're going to be cremated, you have to. That's fucking weird. There's, that is weird. It makes me wonder the motivation for that. Mm-hmm. And on some level, I can see it being, you know, like, I don't know, big mortuary exactly. is out there. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. you know, make every, it would be really <clears throat> nice if everyone had to do that. For us, it would be great. Right. Um, so I think that that's like the first thing that jumps out at my mind. But I also wonder if that's been the tradition through human history is to not do that, you know. And I do wonder, like the more conspiratorial part of my brain wonders, is there something valuable in destroying traditions, you know? And I... I think, yeah, it, for sure. Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting topic. But I did want to say before we start exploring that, that's interesting. 
the, the law that changed that I'm referencing that I don't really remember well from whatever article I read said that they're allowing um, bodies to be composted, mm. which I don't really know what that means, but seemingly it means being, yeah, being allowed to decompose nat- <laughs> naturally, you know. to you Yeah, know. I heard a bunch of, like, Matt Walsh and Michael Knowles and people like that, and they're all, like, really upset about it, and I don't know, it's just like... Upset about what? About the, the, the letting bodies be composted. They think it's like... They think that traditionally in Western culture we have some level of reverence for the death of people, you know, loved ones, things yeah. like that. Yeah. And I just don't think that letting a body decompose naturally shows some kind of like, um, no. you know, lack of care. I, I don't see it that no, way. No, it doesn't seem that way to me. I mean, I, I guess, I guess I wonder what, what they mean by composting. Do, is it going to be like a natural burial like we did for tens of thousands of years, under <coughs> hundred thousand years as, a, as uh, you know, a modern human species before we started embalming them. We just, buried you in the ground and you decompose naturally yeah. is it a respectful private burial yeah are or, we just or leaving a, bodies laying around like right. a compost pile yeah, yeah. or or, the, yeah, or, yeah, or, or, or are they making soilent green out of us I, well, I didn't even think about that but um <laughs> from what i understand it's like I, I i don't think they just bury you i think there's more to it than that but yeah i don't know as long as they're not like yeah making soilent green as people type of a shit then. Let me throw a hypothetical at you. Supposing soil green is something they start experimenting with. Literally, at some future point, we're going to start already, we're going to start eating people. They're already putting bugs and shit over in Europe. Imagine they do this, and during the R and D process of coming up with human meat, they they discovered that it's the strongest, most powerful psychedelic known to man. Human meat. Would you eat it, Kyle? I don't think so. Would you have you a little bit of? A little bit of human meat? <laughs> well, I mean, there's already, <laughs> you know, the what's the... Man, what is it? What is the gland? It's not pineal, pineal no. Mm, um, Maybe, I don't know, but there's some kind of gland. I can't even remember the name of the chemical that it produces. I remember Hunter S. Thompson talked about it in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Adrenochrome. Oh, so adrenal. Uh, yeah, um, uh, apparently... That, you know, whatever gland that is, it produces adrenochrome, and adrenochrome is, like, supposedly crazy psychedelic. Oh, shit, really? Um, Never so heard of it. would you eat that? Would you, you know? If they could, if they could put, you know, pull it out of your body and, and yeah, um, I don't, see, I don't see why not. I would. Especially if it was my own. <laughs> isn't, that a, isn't that a weird thing? That it's just, that fact that if it would it be my own? If it was my own, maybe I would, too, but I don't, I don't know how that would. Why does it make it less bad if it's your own? Or less strange. Because it does. Because you don't have to hurt anyone else? Or you don't have to violate anyone else's corpse? That doesn't sound like that would have to come from a dead person, though. Couldn't we just stick a needle Adrenochrome? in there? Adrenochrome? No, I don't think you can. I think you, I think you have to like take the whatever it is. You remember those, remember those old... Uh, those old orange juice commercials by Tropicana, I think it was, and they just took a orange and they stuck a straw, straw in it. On it That's yeah. just stick a straw right in the adrenal glands, yeah. you know? Yeah, I don't know how it works, <laughs> but, um, you know, there's a lot of people who suggest that, uh, you know, everything's surrounded by Pizzagate, um, that, that artist Marina Abramovich, 
who's like she does those spirit cooking like I don't know performance art installations yeah. and all, all these kind of so Lady Gaga goes to it spirit all these, cooking. Yeah, man, you don't know about no. The, tell me dude, about spirit you, cooking. You man. are like I am a yeah. Like with, with conspiracy theories, there are things that you don't know about that you should know more about. Yeah, I'm probably right, man. Because it's like, yes, is there any evidence that it's 100 percent true? No, but if you look at this body of evidence, mm-hmm. it's like something weird is going mm-hmm. on here. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but something you guys are hiding something, mm-hmm. and you're not hiding things that you probably should be fucking hiding because you're fucking creeps. Um, uh, but anyways, spirit cooking. Yeah, it's just like uh, these people. They are like obviously involved in some kind of occult shit. Okay. And a lot of occult shit is like perfectly comfortable with like sacrificing people and, and you know. Yeah. Let's talk about the occult shit for a second because I got mixed feelings about this. Yeah. Yeah. It's like part of me when you say occult, I think about like what you just said. I think about uh, like pagan style sacrifices. I think about... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, seances, I think about Ouija boards, I think about summoning demons, you know, uh, that kind of shit. Uh, but when I was reading uh, Rudolf Steiner, and I talked about Steiner on the podcast, that guy was like doing something more like what Plato was doing in ancient Greece, talking about the world of forms. He, he was talking about acknowledging the, the existence of a spiritual reality that we're going to call spiritual only because there's no what other word are we going to use to describe it? It's it's some other um, aspect of our reality that exists, but we don't have direct access to it. And that there are practices and knowledge that will help you to tap into that, and that will enhance your your experience on this life. And it'll give you maybe knowledge or truth or something that you wouldn't otherwise have access to. And that shit is very different. Both both fall under the definition of a cult, you know. And I just don't know. Um, like, you remember when Madonna was got, getting into Kabbalah in the mm-hmm. in the late '90s, early 2000s? You remember that? Mm-hmm. Um, Kabbalah—that's a cult, you know. Is it? It is. Yeah. Isn't it a part of Judaism? No. Kabbalah. Yeah, I mean, it's a Jewish. It's but it's from the Middle Ages. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I see what you mean. I, I guess I, I see what you mean. Um, but. I mean, I de- and just in general, with your assessment of the occult, I understand what you mean. There are definitely branches of the occult that I think are creepier than others. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say, like, inherently more sinister than others, you know? Like, there are branches of the occult that are, you know, I don't know, the Steiner guy, I don't remember much of that, but... Um, you know, that doesn't seem that bad. It doesn't seem that weird or creepy. or. No. Um, but then there's, like, you know, like, a lot of the other stuff, and it's just, uh, I don't know. Uh, there's something, it's like when we were talking about uh, pornography the other day. It's like, you know it when you mm-hmm. see it. And yeah. one of them is clearly, to me, got sinister vibes. Yeah. There is something about the occult in general that I don't like, though, and it... There's something that rubs me the wrong way about there's this secret knowledge that you need to be seeking out and mm. finding. And if you don't find the secret knowledge, then you're fucked, basically. Yeah. I don't know. Something about that rubs me the wrong way. Yeah. Not me. Yeah. Uh, because I think that, I think that's kind of true. 
Yeah. I think that there is secret knowledge. I think the, the Gnostics were correct when they said that, and the Hermetic tradition was correct when it said that, and the and the mystery religions were correct when they said that, including Christianity. You know, um, because there is there is a secret to Christianity. The secret is the redeeming blood of the of the. It's of not the, really a secret. I mean, yeah, it's not a really pretty open secret. Not really a secret, but when you compare it to the mystery religions that were around at the same time that, that Christianity fell into that, that same group, you know, Mithraism and the, the, um, Eleusinian mysteries and, you know, uh, the ISIS cult, uh, you know, a bunch of these different things. Um, they were all, they were all like that. Um, and, and remember Christianity was underground in the beginning. And remember Jesus did talk in parables as to not directly tell you what he was trying to tell you. There's a lot of that shit, you know, makes it seem secret to me. Yeah. That's true. <clears throat> and when I had my own my mystical experience, I felt like I was let in on that secret. And the strangest part about it was how obvious it is. Like that it's almost laughable and I remember laughing about it in the in that in the throes of that experience. Yeah. That that the secret that you're always ser- searching for is obvious and it's so obvious that you that you can't see it, you know? That's a, I don't know, that's the best way I can explain it. Yeah. I mean, I definitely see what you mean, but I do think that Christianity was forced to be underground, you know? They uh, they couldn't be openly be Christians. I think a lot of the, the Gnostic stuff, they want it to be a secret club. They don't... And I mean, I think that back in the day, Christians would have, let, you know, they did a good job of it eventually spreading it. They yeah. want people yeah, to... Yeah, you're right. Um, whereas, like I said, a lot of that Gnostic, Hermetic kind of stuff, it's like... This is the information, and, and also there's this aspect of it, a lot of them. A lot of them, it's like you have to, you know, take part in these like satanic rituals to attain knowledge. Um, I, that I think is creepy. Um, yeah. But I mean, I think a lot of people might say that kind of thing about Christianity with the eating of the body and the drinking of the blood. Yeah, I, I try to think about that. Like, imagine I was living in a ancient times and. We were doing, like, animal sacrifices. I want to say human sacrifices, but let's just stick with animal sacrifices. And my children are watching, and I want them to watch. I want them to see this is what we do. This is how we interact with the gods, and we're going to cut the throat of the goat, and the blood's going to, you know, leak out all over this uh, slab, and it's going to get collected in this bucket, and we're going to, you know, put it on ourselves as we in, in, incite prayers and whatever. Whatever. The, I'm just throwing out, like, a hypothetical ritual. And I want my kids to see it. And part of me thinks, Jesus Christ, man, you'd expose your kids to that nonsense. You know, and it's just, you know, there's certain things about that that are unnecessarily violent. You're exposing these, these innocent children to it. You know, like, why would you do that? <clears throat> and then I, then I put my Jordan Peterson hat on for a second. And I think, what am I doing this for? Why am I repeating the, the going through these motions and killing animal after animal week after week and saying these same prayers over and over? Why am I doing that? I'm doing that because there's something here I want to remember and I want to make sure my kids remember. And what it is I want them to know and get out of this is not something that I can necessarily articulate. I want you to see it over and over and over. And at some point in your life, what you're going to realize is in order for you to, in order for you to persuade um, God, the gods. In order for your life to be better, you have to sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Right? 
Uh, that doesn't mean you have to kill animals. It means there are things that you're going to have to give up in order to have what you want. That's what Jordan Peterson will say. There's a psychological message in, in a sacrifice that says you must, and if you're going to kill, if you're going to kill, like, say, a human being or your own child, if you're going to do, like, an Isaac type of sacrifice, something you love the most, even better. Because truly, if you want to have what you want in your life, you're going to have to give up what you love the most. And that's the truth. That is the truth. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. What do you think of that? I'm with you. And because I can't because I can't articulate that to the kid, or even if I did, the kid isn't going to understand me because he's a kid. You know, he he doesn't he doesn't have the capability of understanding me. <laughs> but he's going to have seen me kill animals and thank God over and over and over and over again, and that's going to make a fucking impression on you. You know, sure. I don't know. Uh, I hate to do this to you, but you might have to carry this on your own for a minute or two because I have to pee so bad. All right. All right. I'll be right back. Yep, sure. All right. Back to me, I suppose. Um, So we're talking about this idea of sacrifice. All right, so we'll, we'll bring this up to Kyle when he gets back, but where my mind pivots to right now is the Church of Satan. It's the Church of Satan specifically. Anton Anton LaVey, I think, is that his name? Uh, so this is, a, for, the, for those of you who don't know, um, this was a guy that uh, started a church that was specifically started as a counterpoint to Christian morality and to Christian culture. And I don't, I mean, this this guy was in recent memory, so uh, I think he's, he's probably dead. But this goes back to like maybe the 50s at the earliest and this is something that we would call a cult. This is something that um, in the 80s, um, I, think, I think this is what Kyle is partly uh, thinking of, is that there were news stories about like animal sacrifices being found in the, in the woods, you know, uh, outside of the elementary school. Or, you know, there was like a, a satanic panic, I think that's what they called it. Um, and, you know, parents were worried that their kids were getting wrapped up into some, you know, disgusting, terrible shit. They're killing animals, innocent animals for no reason. They're saying prayers to some, you know, to to the devil or something. Um, and so that's connected to this Anton LaVey. Kyle's back. I was talking about uh, the Church of Satan. I decided while we were talking about the occult, bringing up Anton LaVey might, might be worth talking about. Yeah. So I was talking about the satanic panic in the '80s and the uh, the sacrifices, like animal sacrifices that they would they found in the woods with candles and shit, and the you know parents were all concerned. And 60 Minutes was doing doing art, you know, yeah, pieces I, on it and all I'm that. I'm concerned about that kind of satanism too. I think that I mean, you know, I guess I'm concerned about all kinds of satanism, but <laughs> that kind of satanism I think is particularly gay. Um, uh, yeah, I don't I don't have. Like, as a theology, I have, like, basically no respect for Levian Satanism. Yep. I think it's pretty retarded. And, and the Wiccans, too. Uh, yeah, Wiccan, Wiccanism is, like, 30 years old yep. and is designed by some fucking perv who just wanted to have a bunch of hippie chicks to fuck. I mean, that's what it's it is. pretty brilliant. He did a good job. Yeah, though, I mean, a lot, of, a lot of people have had that idea, you know? Yeah. It's like, a, it's not really a new one. And, and the, th- the same with LaVey. I don't remember when that church was founded, but it couldn't have been before the 50s. It, it was probably the 60s when that happened. I, I can't exactly remember. Yeah, I don't remember either. I honestly kind of assumed it was a little bit later than that, even maybe like 70s. It might have been. Um, but I don't know. 
But, you know, but the thing about that that's interesting is that, um, and I get your point, man. It's like, if you're going to worship the devil, if you're going to worship the devil. Fucking mean it. Yeah. Why don't you pick like, why don't you pick like a fucking historical demon that's been worshipped historically? You know, like, why don't you pick, uh, you know, Moloch? Or why don't you pick Baal? Or why don't you, you know, why don't you pick Lilith or something? Pick something with some historical roots. Don't just don't just take all the biblical iconography, turn the cross upside down. You know, yeah. call, call, calling your rituals the the black mass. Well, it's they do all that because they don't mean any of it. You know, it's bullshit. It's a it's a signal. It's like a counter signal to Western traditions. You know, mm-hmm. uh, that's the whole Levian Satanism. That's all it is. They don't believe in anything. They they're all I'm pretty sure basically atheists. They yeah, just do it for shock value. They just do it as like a fuck you to everything that is good, true, and beautiful. You know, it's do what thou wilt bullshit. Yeah. Um, and honestly, like there's a there are things about Levian Satanism that are similar to the problems that I have with libertarianism at this point. <laughs> Let's hear it. It's do what thou wilt. You know, as long as you're not hurting anyone else, I don't know. I'm not sure about that. So how do you react to the – because this is how they'll frame it. They'll say if you read the Bible, you know, your precious traditions in a different way, what you'll see is that you have a tyrannical God that's preventing you even though you are made of God's stuff. Right, God breathed life into you. You're the same thing. You're the same creature that God is, but you're le- you're allowing God to to control your behavior when you are God on earth. You know, you can do what you whatever you want. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that's true. I mean, are did God breathe life into us? Yeah, I mean, but I think that in like I, most branches of Christianity. They do not believe that we are God. You know, sure. they believe that there's something godly in us. There's some divine part of us that God breathed into us, but we are not God. Um, so I, I mean, that's blasphemy. You know. Yeah. So I think it's I I, I think it's funny um, to say to to allow that God breathed His Spirit into into us, and that that's what make, makes us alive and conscious, and to somehow stick to a distinction that 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 doesn't mean we are god that you know that 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 somehow we're qualitatively different um even though what makes us you ig- are qualitatively different <laughs> i mean you you have your aspect of you okay you believe that you have your singular at you know conscious right no but you do on some level like you i mean you're not the universe in the sense that you can like be the universe yes. consciously. Yep. Um, I think that God can. Yeah. I, I, and I, you can't. Yeah. I, I, I can't push back. I can't push back on that. That's a qualitative difference. Sure. Sure. Um, so I, I just like, I don't think that thinking that, I, I just don't think that that, I, I, I think that thinking that you are God and thinking that you are some aspect of God, but not fully God, mm-hmm. I don't think I think those are equally realistic. Yeah, and I actually kind of lean towards the other interpretation that we are a part of God. Yeah, so I I I agree with that. I don't really disagree with that. Um, but what I believe is hard to describe. What I believe is that 
we and every Christian and every religious person agrees with this first statement that we don't exist without God. I believe the opposite is true. God doesn't exist without us? Yes. I disagree. And I'll tell you why. Because what we are and what God is aren't different things. And this this is an interesting conversation because I know you might not necessarily call human beings and God opposites. Um, you know, you might, you, might, you might not make that distinction. But you might call God something like eternal or infinite. And human beings is something like finite. And that's an opposite, you know? And you can't have one without the other. There's, there's a, what, McGilchrist, what, what Ian McGilchrist calls a coincidence of opposites. There's a coincidence of opposites. They always exist together and never by themselves. There is no such thing as up without down, light without dark, mm-hmm. God, you know, God without being. That's how I see it. Um... I definitely understand what you mean, but I don't necessarily think that that is, like, proof that, you know, um, proof of anything, really. No? Um, Let me throw this example. It's like, not only is it not proof, but it's not, like, particularly convincing to me. You know, like, sometimes things... Yeah, no, I know what you mean. It's not, like, knockout evidence, but I hear it, and I'm like, that, you know, there's sounds good, but it's strictly philosophical. It's not... Yeah, Well, let let me ask you, because it's all analogy. All you can really do when you're talking about God is... Analogies, yeah. but I got a really good one from Alan Watts, which, by the way, I, I've Alan been Watts. I've been listening to a lot. But yeah. I, I'm going to be talking about Alan Watts in the future. He said something pretty cool. He was talking about opposites, and he said that um, he said that you know exactly what I said. How you can't have one without the other. That like, and I use this example sometimes when I bring up Taoism because Taoism has, has this beautiful, and I'm, I'll butcher it because I'm paraphrasing it, but it just says that uh, that you can't like. But it just it says basically when you when you have beauty, then you then you have a recognition of ugliness. Mm. So if every if everybody's beautiful, ugly doesn't exist. It doesn't have a meaning. But here's the kicker: neither does beauty. Right? If everybody's beautiful, then even the concept of beauty loses its meaning. You have to have an ugly c- contrast to beauty, or neither exist. And so, hold on, because there's an there's a Alan Watts bit in here. Alan Watts said this. He said, people don't realize that the bee and the flower are one organism. Because you can't have one without the other. And I was like, oh, shit. There's an analogy that I kind of I can use in this example, because you have God and you have man. You have the bee and you have flower. Different organisms, but they're not. They're one organism. What do you think about that? I don't think that they're one organism. I mean, I see what what is being gotten at there, but I just don't think that they are one organism. They're two or they're codependent, but that that, that what, doesn't mean that they're they're mutually codependent, mm-hmm. right? You, that means if the flowers go, the bees go. If the bees go, the flowers go. So, and that's the way that that Alan says. They're one organism, and I'm like, there's something to that. But maybe that's the idea of being and non-being, God and creation, that we're like the bee and the flower. We're one organism. I don't know. I haven't thought it through. I'm just asking you. So in this, you you believe that humans are, you know, God consciousness. Yes. 
But don't you also believe that everything is? Yes. So, I don't know, like, if humans were gone, if all life was gone, mm-hmm. it was just rocks and, yep. you know, yep. shit like that. Um, Does that change things no, in any way? It wouldn't for me, because I would see those rocks and the and the atoms and the quantum waves underneath them to be just as just as sentient as you and I. And, well, maybe not, but they would have they would have sentience, yeah. and they would they would be it's just a, they're just as sentient as some of us. To be fair. <laughs> they would be they would remain the sentient aspect of God. They would and they would remain the material aspect of God. But it's just like it, it's I don't think words fail us because you can say a part of God and I can say an aspect of God like I just did, but I don't mean that because it's just a it's just a way of talking. It's, it's like I don't think God is divisible. So if I say an aspect or a part of God, I don't really believe that. You know, it's just like how I have to talk. Do you you don't think that do you think that God could divide itself? <laughs> do, do I think God could make a rock so big that he couldn't pick it up? Uh, you know, it's one of those questions. Um, could God divide himself? Now, I think the answer to that is yes. Because, because I have this way of thinking about, um, oh, it's, man, it's hard, it's hard to explain. It's like this. When I, when I talk about sentience and consciousness, and I say that what makes me alive, the, for, the, the, the force of life in me is the same thing as consciousness. And there isn't a difference between my consciousness and your consciousness. There isn't a difference between yours and the rocks, yours and, and the atoms that are in a far-flung part of the galaxy somewhere. That all of that consciousness is God. Period. Um, so the thing is, you can't be conscious without something else. There has to be something to be conscious of, right? Can you? Can the thing that has to be there for you to be conscious of be yourself? Well, that's my belief, because I believe there is only God. And so what God is conscious of is the only thing there is to be conscious of, and that's God. So I, I'm with you there. I, I think that's the case. But I think there has to be a separation of from of self from self. There has to be a separation, whatever whatever that could mean, without dividing God. There has to be a separation. I think that's what Plato meant when he talked about forms. Um, I, I think that I think that matter and space and time and consciousness and all the things that we think of when we think of reality are something like a something like a cookie cutter frame that you stick into the God dough mm. and it separates God from itself so that so that God can then see itself as other and experience and that's what experience is and that's a weird you know I realize that people are probably thinking what the fuck does this guy mean this is all sounds ridiculous but all I have access to is analogies here. And so I, what comes to my mind is fucking cookie dough and a cookie cutter. You know, form separates God from itself and allows the, the ultimate reality to be knowable. And that and all knowledge is self-knowledge because God is all there is. That's what I believe. I, I, I can't tell you how well thought out it is because it's very hippy-dippy and hard to understand, but that's what I believe. Yeah. Something like that. So can God separate itself... <clears throat> 
cookie cutter. Yes itself. and no, baby. Yes and no. Yeah. Um, I really don't know what to say about that. <sighs> Let's go back to Anton LaVey for a second. Okay. So one of the things that, like, I, I don't know, I hate to play devil's advocate with Satanists, but let me do that for, for a second. That what they'll say is that there's this idea in Christianity of the adversary. Mm. And there's a way of looking at the adversary as being the good guy. Yep. Right? Yep. God is a tyrant, and the adversary is the adversary to the tyrant. That's the hero. We call that the hero. That's Satan in, in the story of, of, you know, the church of Satan. And um, there's this idea that, like, going back to Jordan Peterson, he'll talk about the king as, like, the benevolent king, but also the tyrant. There's always two sides, you know, two sides to the archetypes, the good side and the bad side. And the queen, the great mother, you know, she's, she's the benevolent queen, but she's also the Oedipal mother. You know, she's, so there's always the good, the good aspect and the bad aspect. And if you don't have one side to balance out the other side, you're missing something important. In psychological terms, it's like you're repressing it. And what happens if you repress it? If you repress things, you end up with neuroses, as Freud would say. You end up with psychological problems. You end up eating yourself alive with anxiety or worry or whatever. But when you repress something, um, you know, it's not natural. And so what we've done with our religion is repressed that repressed the shadow, repressed our, um, you know, uh, natural human instincts, which include rage, which include, you know, lust, which include things that we, for since, you know, thousands of years, we've been repressing and repressing and repressing. And there's some, maybe there's something good about reminding us that there's this other half of our, of our reality. We're, we're God, but we're also Satan. And we have to, we have to understand that. What do you think? Is there any merit in that? Um... I so I can see the logic of you know if you repress something it's going to find a way to sneak out um but I also think that sometimes things seem logical and you just kind of take it at face value because of that yeah um I also think another thing that seems logical, though, that could, like, compete is, like, maybe something should be repressed, you know? And maybe arguing that you shouldn't, or, yeah, maybe the thing, maybe arguing that you should express those things as in, as opposed to repressing it um, is, like, some kind of attempt to, I don't know, fuck people up, you know yeah. what I mean? To get you to express the worst parts of yourself. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think we would agree that we don't want to express the worst parts of our personalities, and we certainly don't want to give it free reign, you know. Um, and I talked about lust a second ago. We've, we all experienced that. But, you know, what, if we let that go amok, then we just have people raping each other and, you know. Walking have to porn all day. Having all kinds of kids, you know out of wedlock and all kinds of things that have other like there's reasons why we might not want that to uh to be like a unacceptable behavior uh, but then there's this thing that there's this idea that comes to my mind about being a slave to it it's like if i repress it and i ignore it then i never learn how to master it mm -hmm. right and then so you know the, the, like 
we were talking about the Iranian lady, and she was talking about how when the revolution happened and the women had to start um, covering up and they weren't allowed to wear colorful clothes anymore, um, that you have, you have this situation where for religious reasons, the women aren't allowed to show their faces or their bodies or anything that might evoke sexuality from men so that their hearts can stay pure, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But if you don't lust after women because you've never seen one, you haven't, you haven't done anything good. You know what I mean? You have to you have to be tempted, or your resistance to the temptation is not moral or valuable at all. What do you think of that? <clears throat> I don't know. I mean, maybe I, I definitely understand. It's like a very Petersonian. You know, it's like you can be uh, being a weak man or being a powerless man is not being a good man. That kind of a thing. Yeah, um, that's true. And I do think that there's some truth to that, but I also think that. In a sense, having a culture that doesn't allow that sort of thing to permeate it, that is kind of being strong in its own way, you know? Yeah, I can see that too, but that sounds totalitarian to me. And it sounds like it robs, it, 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 it's like as, as dad, as, as papa, I'm going to, I know what's best for you. So I'm going I'm to protect you from making mistakes. That's mm-hmm. how it, that's how it comes across to me. And so it's like we, you know, if we if our culture is too strict, then we then we rob ourselves of the opportunity to make mistakes, to learn from. All- so as a, I'm sorry. Go, go ahead. ahead. Well, I, I, this the only other thing about this is, I said you're know, becoming a slave to your emotions. It's like if you if you get angry and and you act out, that means you haven't conquered your anger. So there's something to me good about practicing dealing with those with those dark sides of your own personality so that you can become the master of them and they're not the master of you. Mm-hmm. And if we don't allow us, if we don't allow us that opportunity, um, yes, we are protecting, maybe in the short term, we're protecting ourselves from bad outcomes, but in the long term, you know, we're robbing ourselves of the ability to master ourselves. You know, something like that. Um, yeah, I mean, I just... I just like try to take that logic to the extreme and it's like in that case you're just not protecting anyone ever you're like well you gotta figure it out you know um, yeah and it's like as a person who has kids are you as they get older are you not going to like put any kind of if they have foot devices and things like that are you not gonna put any kind of parental guidance on it because that's how you feel I don't take you as that type no, no I, I want to protect my kids from other people I don't want to protect them from themselves. You know, I think that you should protect kids. From I themselves. want them to explore to find out who they are. I want them to. Sure, I, I mean, I'm with you on that, but I think that there are there are some ways in which you need to protect them from themselves. That's true. I can't argue with that because otherwise, and that this is like kind of like right back to the whole. You know, it's what we started talking about was the Satanism, Mm -hmm. but it goes back to like libertarianism for me. It's just like that's a big part of why I had to be done with a lot of libertarianism. Yeah. Yeah. I think that as you get older, you realize how much nuance, like what they say when you're a kid, everything's black and white. And that's the truth, man. Mm -hmm. Everything's black and white. It's easier that way. It would be overwhelming if 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 it started to be gray. 
Yeah. And then as you get older and older, it gets grayer and grayer and grayer until we just we just live in a gray fucking world. Mm-hmm. And that's how I feel, man. I feel like there's a balance that's, you know, I don't know. I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer, but there's definitely a balance that needs to be struck between both sides of, of, of this conversation. We need to, uh, we need our kids to um, be able to explore even the worst parts of themselves, but we also need to need to protect them uh, from the worst possible outcomes. There's there's a balancing act there, you know. That's just that's life, man. That's what all people say. That also make makes me think of. Uh, that balancing act thing that makes me think of the coincidence of opposites that we were just talking about. You know, can't have one without the other. So it's like a balancing act, you know, true that true that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I definitely agree that people should be able to explore every part of themselves. Um, should be able to and encouraged to do so. I don't know if that's the same thing, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think maybe there are aspects of ourselves that maybe we shouldn't explore, you know? Maybe, I don't know, maybe know that they're there, but don't go too deep into them, you know? Yeah. Like, because it's, I, I think that there's, I don't know, man. I just believe that there are, you We've talked about this before. You don't really believe in evil. You know what I mean? External to... to You think that everything is the same, and that if everything is the same, it's all part of the same thing, and it's like, you know... Yeah, but... but I, I, I don't know, man. Like People will say, God is all good, and I say, no. God is all good and all evil. And what makes the distinction is us and not God. Um, but that's all very philosophical and hippy dippy like what does that mean what does that really mean I don't know I mean I, I I have contradictions with myself because I believe that there are things that are categorically evil <coughs> uh, that it's not just a, a matter of perspective uh, but so much of so much of what we know about reality is um, what's the word Einstein uses relative you know Einstein yeah relative Einstein was goofy, man. <laughs> Dude, a lot of a lot of Einstein's theories boil down to thought experiments. Yeah, like you can't test any of it. Um, I don't know. I, I'd never. I, I used to hold Einstein in like high regard, mm-hmm. but I've ha- I've listened to people like talking about Einstein, and it's like I don't. I really don't know how impressive all of it is. You know, a lot of it's. Um, like I said, it's all completely based on thought experiments, and like there's some math, and but I, I don't know. I'm just like super skeptical of science, yeah. you know. Um, <laughs> well, I know, and I, I also know weird things about Einstein as a person too. You know, he was the product of incest. No. Yeah, and he also married his cousin, and then I think left her for like her niece or something like that oh, like wow. like fucked up shit man I'm, I'm pretty sure Edgar Allan Poe married his cousin yeah it was a little more common back then yeah yeah dude I saw an article the other day uh, it was like an 1800s photograph like an early photograph and it was of a bunch of like a family standing and like um, three quarters of the family had blue skin and the article was, was saying that that was a consequence of inbreeding that, that, that like 
some genetic thing happened, and a big chunk of those for that family were born with blue skin. Like how blue are we talking about? Like, oh, if I could find the, if I could find the photo, I'd show you. Um, like, is it like there's a slight twinge of blue to their almost normal human looking skin, or do they look like Blue Man Group? Not like somewhere in between. You know how like uh, like if somebody was cold, as suffocating, fuck. or yeah. cold, and they were turning blue, uh, they look like that. You know, the face, the skin of their face and their arms were, were noticeably blue. It's very weird. Yeah, not all of them, most of them. I don't know. I don't know why I started bringing that up. Didn't you take, like, um, weren't you taking, like, I don't know, some kind of supplement and okay. it made you, like, turn purple or but, something? Well, that's, that's a funnier story than that. It doesn't reflect well on me, but I'll tell the story <laughs> for the audience. So, um, so all right, so I started taking, I was taking uh, vitamins, like especially when I lost all that weight and I was getting in shape and I was like really trying, um, and I was taking something like zinc or something new that I hadn't been taking before. And after a while, it was magnesium. Maybe it was, yeah. Yeah. And after after a while, I I, uh, I woke up and I was brushing my teeth in the morning. and I'm like looking in the mirror and I'm like, what in the fuck? My, my skin had this little had this a blue tint to it, and. Uh, it, 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 and I noticed it like a few mornings, and I was like, "What in the fuck?" So I, I stopped taking the uh, stopped taking the supplements, uh, thinking maybe you know I was poisoning myself, you know, with something. I was very scared, dude. I can imagine. Turns out, turning blue. Turns out, I right around the same time I started taking the supplements, I got new sheets. Oh no way! I got new sheets for my bed. They were like, uh, they were like uh, flannel sheets. I never yeah. heard this. You, you did, did you I, not tell me this? Probably, you were yeah, about probably. It? That's funny. As uh, hell, yeah, and uh, it was it was my wife. I think that pointed it out. I want to say you're like sweating on them, and the dyes leaching on. Yeah, your it was face. The, the, the dye from the sheets was was rubbing off on my skin, and I thought I was fucking poisoning myself. <laughs> like I had heavy metal poisoning or something. Uh, I guess I probably should have realized that after I got a shower and everything, like, oh, yeah, shit, no I'm just looking better. I'm looking better. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad I coaxed that out of you. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's funny. So as I well, thought man. I was dying. It was just sheets. What else? Uh, I've had something in my head that I keep meaning to say and I keep forgetting it. What about that? What about that thing you said about, like, we we're going to do a segment on this show where we're looking at something in particular. What was that? It was just... Oh, yeah. That was the the witch, uh, witches versus patriarchy subreddit. <laughs> okay. It's, what is that? It's ridiculous. Um, I actually deleted Reddit off my phone, um, so I can't like access it right this second. Yeah. But it's this subreddit with a bunch of goofy bitches pretending to be witches, and they're all... Super, super liberal. You know, most of them are like, uh, a lot of the posts are like, this trans femme just got his new, or I'm sorry, her, her new, uh, her first new witchy dress. And it's like a picture of some trans, so a picture of a man in a dress. Um, and it's just, it's super cringe. A lot of it is, it, it would is be it, entertaining. Is it parody or is it? No, it's real. Oh God. Yeah. And if they're all like Wiccan, you know, like uh, they have, like I said, they're all these super progressive liberal witches. Mm -hmm. And I would just love to take them and drop them off in like, you know, like 600 AD Scandinavia yeah, yeah. so that they can see what real witches were like. Because I have a feeling they were a lot less progressive than oh. uh, than these witches think they were. Yeah. Um, 
they were religious people. You know, they were, um, yeah, I don't, I, I just don't think that this whole modern witchy thing is like how it really was. No. I hope it's not because I hate the modern no. Which vibe? I don't think there's much we we do know about yeah. it, you know, because there yeah, was, it's all made up. Yeah. And plus it's like the type of um religion that they practiced in uh like the like the Celtic tribes, let's say, and the type of uh religion that they practiced in like central Germany, you know? We would call them pagan. Mm. And there's similarities, but they would they would not see any similarities in each other. They would say, "No, they they have a whole different belief system they, they have a whole, all these different rituals than us they, they don't have the same gods as us it's like you know uh, pagan people were very different th- you know there was all kinds of groups of pagan people I'm pretty sure though that there were times where like different cultures merged together you know came mm-hmm. together and they were like oh these gods are very similar you well, know yeah that, well that's par- partly that's true and there are reasons for that you know the proto-indo-european yeah. stuff but uh, but but my point is, if you took a if you took we would classify a Celtic druid as pagan. Yeah, for you sure. Pull a druid out of out of you know the British Isles from whatever you know two thousand BC or something, and you stick them right next to a shaman from uh, you know central Germany. They're both pagan, but <laughs> and they, but you know and they both have an, an emphasis on astrology and the stars, and they both have it you know it, uh, 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 ritual sacrifices and they you know the, the seasons are important and the cycles and the nature and all that there's lots of overlap but they're completely different cultures completely different religions we call them pagan the point is wicca um stitches together what little we know about all of these different groups of people that weren't at all similar it didn't believe this anything that, that identically and we call that today Wicca, and pretend like, and pretend like nature magic and witches have always existed as some kind of homogenous thing. That's just never been the case. Yeah. This the witches versus patriarchy thing reminds me of something interesting that I heard on the Mark Clare show. Yeah, um, don't know. Mark Clare is awesome. Uh, he used to host this host this podcast called Lions of Liberty, which yep. is a libertarian podcast. And the same thing that happened to me and happened to a bunch of people that I like online happened to him. And, you know, you just see the limitations of libertarianism. Yeah. So he left that and started his own thing, The Mark Clare Show. Uh, It's very good. You should listen to it. Uh, But he just had this person on who wrote a book on the origins of feminism. You know, all of the, like, OG feminists from history pretty much to a woman were all occultist like Susan B. Anthony was an occultist very you know <laughs> no I didn't know like into Blavatsky and that kind of shit uh. um, it, it all has to do with like the sacred feminine you know that's uh, all of the feminists like literally all of them um, you think that it's all like a political you know we should have the right to vote but it's it boils down to a mystic thing mm. so that's interesting because this is also parallel to this God and the devil thing we were talking about earlier. It's the dark side and the light side, and we repress the dark side. That's the same thing, what you just brought up, the, the sacred masculine and the sacred feminine. We've, we've, we've repressed the sacred feminine, and that's true. I mean, you, that's just true. You can, see that, you can see that in our religious history, even in Judaism. Um, in, uh, I can't remember what the Jewish name is, but there is a female... Um, counterpart to Yahweh. Mm. 
And um, in the in the Gnostic tradition, like when the Greeks got involved, um, they called her Sophia. Sophia was it means just means wisdom, but Sophia was was the feminine version of God, the feminine aspect of God, and that's existed since the since the early days of Judaism, um, and in pre pre uh, Judaism and all in the Mesopotamian religions, it was true. Tiamat and Apsu, always a female with a male, and I think that's important. You know, having the masculine and the feminine represented, I think, is important. And I think that, uh, I think that, listen, man, I am not s- sympathetic to feminism, um, you know, at least the modern style feminism at all. But I will say unequivocally that patriarchal society removed the feminine aspect of God um, on purpose because, for cultural reasons. I think that's true. What I think are those cultural reasons? Hegemony. The, the cultural reasons are the patriarchy. <laughs> I mean, I hate even fucking saying that, but but men having being in charge of um, government and society painted that in their image, religion. So God is a man because men run shit, and that's that's unfortunately that's. Uh, the reason, I think, I can't think of no other, why the feminine aspect in religion that's always existed from our earliest, you know, historical evidence um, was just eliminated. I think the sacred feminine is legit, and it should be a part of our of, of our religious tradition. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't really even know what the sacred feminine means, you know? I mean, I, I have some broad idea, but... Um, I don't know, man. I don't know either. I do want to. I do want to bring another topic up, but I don't want to change gears if you're if you're into this topic. We can circle back to the sacred feminine, uh, but I was having a conversation with a person I think was English. I don't know, but I, I think was English on Twitter about free speech, and I wanted to. I wanted to bring it up. Okay. So we got into an argument, sort of a conversation. It was pretty civil, pretty civil. Although I got a little cheeky with him. Um, Maybe maybe it's a her, by the way. I don't know. The picture is just not of a person, so I don't know. But the the conversation was about hate speech and whether um, whether we should <coughs> censor speech of any kind. So it kind of similar to what you were talking about earlier is like, are there limits? This is what this is what disenfranchised you to libertarianism. Are there limits to freedom? Should there be limits to freedom? And the question was. Should all speech be permitted entirely uh, regardless? My instinct is to say yes, of course. Um, but they were like, no, there should be limits. You would, you would agree that there's some things that shouldn't be said. And I'm like, well, you know, you know maybe, maybe, there, maybe there should be limits. So we were having this conversation. Um, and I told him that uh, I think where we disagree is on... We were talking about violence and whether words are violence, and I don't think that they are. And, he, you know, he was giving me all kinds of examples about how, um, you know, emotional harm and, uh, uh, you know, whatever. He, he even showed me laws that are on the books in the U.K. that, that is it where it's criminal. You know, there's criminal penalties for emotionally harming your spouse or something. And I, I don't know. And I was like, what do you mean? There's laws against... Hurt, wife a bitch. hurt feelings, yeah. you know. You should, uh, you know, you could just leave. You know, it's like violence is like if you were prevented from leaving. 
that's violence, right? But you can say whatever you want. If, if that, you know, I don't know, man. So this was the conversation I was having. Um, do you think that there are limits to free speech or that there should be things that shouldn't be allowed to be said? Or that should be punishable if you say it? Yeah. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't... Where... Where that authority comes from is where I I start having problems with it. I think that if you are in, I've said this a bunch of times on the podcast. I think that if you're involved in a small community that has the right to self segregate, you know, to have people be a part of it that they want and not have people be a part of it that they don't want. Sure. Yeah, I think that yeah, if you like live in a small community and you have these core principles and people start, you know, publicly trying to change your community, then yeah, I think that you can say, no, you can't say that kind of shit. And if you are, you have to leave. Do you think that those rules should be enforced by society or by the legal system? Meaning, you know, we've had this conversation before. It's like, yeah, it's like, should, should we ostracize the person or should we, or should we put them in jail? Well, having those punishments, you know, doled out by society or the legal system is not necessarily different. Um, but, I mean, I don't, I'm not, like, a big advocate of killing people no, for, no. you know, depends on what they do, to be perfectly honest. Um, but, you know, most things... I don't think we should be killing people, you know, yep. uh, but excommunication, I'm not opposed to that. Um, and that does seem more, that seems more societal than legal, even though, like I said, that's not necessarily different things. Um, but maybe it is though, like maybe there's a trial and we decide we're excommunicating. You know, that is illegal. Yeah. What's well, like, um, if I, like if I did something taboo, and people stopped being friends with me, you know, that would be hard. For, for many people, most people, maybe not everybody, but for, for many people it would be. It would be a punishment. It would be a real one. Like, I can't go out and, and do something fun on the weekends because no one wants to hang out with me. Nobody will talk to me. I can't pick up the phone and call somebody and have a chat. Um, that's, one, that's one thing. Yeah. But then I think of the example of, like, you know, like the social credit score and what happened during COVID where the government says, you can't travel. The government says yeah. you you lost your ability to you know to go grocery shopping you know you have to you know whatever it's like if society does it the the ostracizing it seems okay like within the power that society has but yep. when the government comes in and says I completely agree with you um, it just depends on the level of government though because I think that. If the federal government is doing that, you're not involved in our community at all. You have no say. Fuck off. Yeah. Uh, but if you have, like, a town council, I don't know. That's the government still. Yep. But ideally, in the scenario that I'm thinking of, it's not really. It's people who live with you and people, you know, people who are your teachers, people who are your religious leaders, people yeah. who are your neighbors. Yeah. Um, I don't have as much of a problem with that. And when I say excommunicated, like, you're like, I can't call anyone to do it. No one will hang out with me. No, I'm saying you have to leave the community. You're gone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, and I don't, I, I, I think that 
think the communities have a right to do that. Do you think there do you think there should be a method for forgiveness and being able to come back? Depends on it would depend, what yeah. was done. Yeah. Um, like I said, I'm I'm not against you know court you know uh, the ultimate punishment depending on the crime. No, I'm not either, and that that's another interesting topic. Uh, I had this conversation with this lady I used to work with um, about corporal punishment, about the death penalty. Um, when I was younger, you know, back when things were more white and black and they were less gray, um, I, I would say, and maybe I still would, that there are some things that um, you can't be rehabilitated from. Yeah, I agree if, with that. if you rape a kid, you should die. Mm-hmm. Um, if you murder somebody, You're too far gone. Yep. If you murder somebody, at least in certain circumstances, yeah. you should die. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and you shouldn't and you shouldn't be a burden to the taxpayer. You shouldn't be given a trial necessarily. Like if it's cut and dry, if you're guilty, if, yeah, if, yeah. if you know everyone watched you, yeah, do just it. You, yeah. you're done. You're done, though, bud. Yep. Yeah, I'm not going to pay for you to sit in prison for 30 years yeah. on death row, and I'm, I'm not paying for your final Bullets meal of lobster are way either. Cheaper. Yeah, exactly. But this lady at work, she told me, "What about all those cases about people um, found guilty of something?" And 20 years down the road with evidence, new evidence or new technology uh, exonerates them. And then then the question becomes, how statistically, how many of those situations exist? And are you willing to kill those people too? Like, are you willing to make a mistake even once? What do you think of that? Yes, I'm willing to make a mistake once. To to be perfectly honest with you, I don't want to. I mean, I, I think that... I think that a lot of that stuff where people are exonerated, you know, by new evidence, I think a lot of that stuff is, I think that if you let small communities like organize themselves and run themselves, I'm willing to bet you would have a lot less of that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Um, And that a lot of the crimes that were committed would be more clear cut than that, you know? Yeah. Um, That's one, that's one strike in favor of, um, living in smaller communities. Mm-hmm. Like if we didn't live in big cities, if, if we lived in, if all of us were required to live in smaller social groups, um, then it would be easier to govern. It would be easier to police and, and it would be harder to lie and it would be harder to um, get away with something because everybody knows everybody. And, uh, you know, <coughs> it really would be a jury of your peers then, you know? Yeah. I, I had to be honest with you. I kind of think that that kind of a society is coming because I have a hard time not seeing what am I saying? I have a hard time seeing things going on the way they're going for too long. You know what I mean? Um, And if things break down that's going to be your best bet, you know, is like yeah. small communities. Yeah. Um, cities cities are going to be you, the last place oh you want to be. Oh, God. Um, just imagine. Oh, God. Imagine like the, you know, the progressive liberal types who were out there gentrifying cities. <laughs> You're, you need to move now. But they're too, they're too liberal and progressive to understand that. Mm. Dude, you live in a... You, You've created this culture where you are constantly telling the people that you live around that we are, we've been oppressing you for hundreds of years. And now we're to a point where they can't fucking afford gas or heat their homes or the only food they can afford is fucking trick cereal and it's not nutritious at all. I, I, dude, in a year, things could be bad 
And they're going to blame you because you fucking convinced them to blame you. Mm. You've been convincing them to blame you for 200 fucking years at this it's, point. It's scary. You're, they're fucked. They're, I mean, the city is the last place in the world you want to be. Do you if you, especially if you're a white person. Yeah, that's a scary thing. Do you think there's enough land, like unused land? Uh, I don't know if unused is the right word, but do you think there's enough land where if we if we suddenly found ourselves unable to live in large cities, that we could disperse the population of those large cities well, throughout the country and still have if, have enough? If society gets to the point where we can't sustain large cities, a bunch of those people are dying. I yeah. mean, I'm not. I, I don't want that to happen. I, I think that's terrible, but that's the truth. If things, if society is like crippled to the point where the big cities, they're not getting resources. They're not. A lot of those people are dying. They're yeah. gonna kill each other. They're, they're gonna you know, kill each other. They're yeah. gonna starve to death. Yep. Yep. Um, so no, I, I I'm on record on this podcast saying that I don't believe that scarcity is a thing. Um, I think that we could easily feed all of the people in the world, even in the big cities, if you know certain elements got out of the way, you know, and yeah. stopped, you know instituting fucked up law like agricultural laws and shit like that and encouraged I think that like I think that a lot of people would think that you know big agriculture is like it's a benefit it's like hell you know we're feeding so many people this way I think we could probably feed more people more nutritious food if we didn't do it that way Mm. if there was a community garden in every fucking neighborhood yeah I think we'd be a lot better off um yeah, man. I, I, you can take one chicken, one laying hen, and turn it into like over a hundred in a, a year's time. Yeah. That's a hundred um, like egg laying chickens. You're not starving, you know. Like you, if you starve to death, it's because you fucked up. Yeah. Um, I, I really don't believe that. Scared. I think it's non-existent. It's a it's a fiction created to make people worry and dependent. Mm. Well, I do think. The state of uh, society and government is not good. And I, I think it's worse than it's been ever in our lifetimes and worse than it's been since the Second World War. Um, in certain ways, worse than it was in the Second World War. Oh, yeah. um, you know, It's very scary, man. Um, I try not to think about it because I don't know what the fuck to do about it. I honestly, I mean, I think that certain things like supply chains breaking down could make life uncomfortable for everyone. Yeah. But I think that um, when you look at the way that culture is drifting and has been drifting for a long time, I think that people who think like we do when things shift are going to be okay for the most part. I hope so. Yeah, I mean, I think that if you look at the current like idealism of our culture when the counter to that comes the counter to that I mean I'm sure that there's going to be things that I think are bad but I think a lot of it is uh, I'm going to be you know they're going to be I think they're going to be saying things that I agree with to be perfectly frank Mm. with you a lot of things that I agree with Uh, just because look look like I said look at the what our culture currently is holding up as an ideal you know, it's not good, and it's obvious to see that it, it like the things that are wrong with it. Mm. So I have a feeling that when that shift comes, that person is going to be capitalizing on those things to me that are obvious. Yeah. Um, and you know the comparison between 
you know, pre-World War II and during World War II here, I think those are um, apt comparisons for what's going on. Um, I think that a lot of what was going on during the Weimar Republic is a lot of the stuff that's going on now. Yeah. Um, you know. What was, hy- was hyperinflation before uh, the, the collapse of the Weimar Republic? I- Yes, but I'm not necessarily talking about economic things. I'm talking about cultural mm. things. Um, you know, the encouragement of depravity, you know, just attempts by, you know, uh, um, powers on high, the allies, you know, in, in this case, England, France, Germany, or uh, I'm sorry, England, France, America, Russia, Um to push things that like they're doing now, like like we, we I think last week we talked about. I see almost every every ideal that our government and establishment pushes as being explicitly anti-family. Yeah, and that kind of stuff was all going on. And an anti-order. Exactly. And yeah. I don't I don't know what it was like in the in the Weimar Republic, but the fact that the that the riots that we saw were. Um, like the the media coverage of the, of the riots were so swayed they they were spinning the story like a top to try to make it out like the rioters were freedom fighters you know and then and then this whole effort to defund the police and demonize the police um and and the the um, no cash bail in New York and like I just don't like how does any any human being think that's a good idea that law and order is is something that we can do without, you know? Yeah. Uh, I'm telling you, dude, when the shift comes, the Great Awakening event, whatever that is, that is fucking coming, um, people like you and I are not... I don't think we're going to be that bad. I think that the people who were doing things like that, like the, you know, no, no bail or, you know... You know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. All of that stuff that you just mentioned, the people who were pushing for that kind of stuff... I think those people are going to be in trouble. They're going to get their comeuppance, you mean? Yeah. And I don't, I'm not necessarily rooting for that, but I'm also not necessarily going to feel bad for them, to be perfectly honest with you. Listen, if things break down to the point where we're in real trouble, the people that have no, the people that are um, going to jail for robberies and riots and all that kind of stuff and getting right back out, those people are going to be bolder uh, the less um, they perceive. Uh, you know the authority to be. They're going to get bolder and worse and worse and worse, until um, you basically have a, a Mad Max style situation where mostly young kids are going to be um, are going to be completely lawless. And when that happens, the rest of the community all over the country are going to be looking for men, mm-hmm. the same men that they've been calling toxic. The, mm-hmm. sa- the same men that they've been trying to repress, um, the the tyrannical ones, f- you know, even they're going to be looking for those people to protect them because that's what's needed. Because that's what's needed. Yeah, yeah. They're going to be looking for the ones that wouldn't give up their guns when they were asking for stricter gun laws. Mm-hmm. They're going to be they're going to be looking for their help. And a lot of those men are going to be more than happy to step up. Yep, but. The ones that refuse them, refuse to take in the sheep, 
it's going to be hard to blame them when they t- when they turn them away, you know, to face their own, the, you know, problems that they created, to face the hordes of uh, violent, you know, uh, heathens. Yeah. I think um, some kind of, you know, I don't know, some kind of display that you don't, you know, that like either you never supported that kind of stuff and you've been against it the whole time or you see the error of your ways. Um, I think that'll help, you know? Yeah. But yeah, I, I do, I think that... Um, does it, things are going to get interesting. Does it seem to you like this, this picture I'm painting here is of, is of well, basically progressive and liberal people from the cities um, coming to the rural areas and looking for shelter and looking for, you know, the things that they... that they Coming to that person with a hundred laying hens and be like, can I get some eggs? Do you have something in your garden for me because I'm starving? Uh, yeah, I'm with you. A lot of those people are going to look at them and be like, go fuck yourself. You would have thrown me in a prison cell right. six months ago. But suppose they do the honorable thing and they let them in, they protect them, they let them in, they, they bring them in, right, to the fold. Mm. That's. I think we both agree that that's probably the right thing to do no no not necessarily maybe in some scenarios yes but like i said there needs i don't so you're a person who has been homesteading for you know a few years before the shit hits the fan so you're good you like know what you're doing you've got resources and people start showing up i think that turning a a person away there's nothing wrong with that yep and i think the i don't know Christian thing to do uh, or, you know, the moral thing to do would be I, I, yeah, I can support you, but you've got to show me that you, you know, that you're not that you see the error of your weights, you yeah, know? Yeah. Um, That's important because otherwise it becomes a Trojan horse situation. Yeah. You bring them in to protect them and you've brought the enemy in. You've brought the mind parasites that are going to infect the rest of the rest of your community. That's a, that's a concern it's for a sure. a concern, yeah. Yeah. Historically, it's been a concern. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. It's not good times. I think we can call this episode the Trojan Horse. I don't know. That's probably not. That's probably. I'm not going to go with that one. I have to rethink that. But uh, <laughs> uh, go ahead. we we should end before I make a joke that's going to get us in trouble. All right, all right, guys. Well, we're just about at two hours, so uh, enjoy. Two Tongues Podcast uh, at the Two Tongues Podcast.com or wherever podcasts are free. YouTube, too. Go and the YouTubes. YouTube. I think, oh, so when I start making content, I think I might just upload it to YouTube. Yeah, why not? But you can do some will to power hours on the on the podcast like you used to do back I, I in the day. I think I'm just going to call it like you do, just like Two Tongues, yeah. you know, solo episode, whatever. Gotcha. So maybe more from Kyle on a solo basis. Uh, I'm hoping that we do see some of that. Oh, you will for sure. I just need to figure out what I want to do. Yeah, think about it. Yeah. All right, guys, until we meet again. Well, there you have it. That's one avenue explored, but infinitely more still to go. I hope you enjoyed thinking along with us. I know, I know. It's not easy work. 
thinking. It's hard and full of uncertainties, but I'm grateful for the company as we trek through this together. Here's to hoping that the juice is worth the squeeze. See what I did there? Let's find out together in the next episode.